Let me pray, and we'll jump in. Father in heaven, we bless your name this morning. You are high and lifted up, and your glory is above even the heavens, and your glory fills the earth. And so we worship you, and we delight ourselves in you, and we thank you that you have made yourself known to us in the person of Jesus, in the power of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit and through the fellowship that we have with fellow believers. Thank you that in all of these ways, you are making yourself known to us today so that our faith might not be any dead faith, but living and active. And so we pray that you would use this time, that you would bless it, sanctify it to us, that we would grow in holiness and righteousness and maturity in Christ-likeness freedom from sin. Lord, as a result of this, we're praying that uh, our huddles that already exist would be stronger and deeper and more vibrant than ever, uh, that those who are not yet in huddles would experience the, the life that comes through just intentional conversation about spiritual things in community with others. Lord, bless this time and lead us now for your namesake. Amen. All right. Um, I, I did get a couple questions submitted uh, by people who registered, and if I missed any and I don't get to them, feel free to bring that up at the end, or if you have questions as we go, I want to hopefully leave a little bit of time um, to talk about questions that you may have. But I just want to start with why we're doing a huddle refresher, what we mean by that. So when I looked at who registered for this, I saw uh, that we have a handful of people here who have never been in discipleship huddles yet. Um, so my guess is there are some interest, curiosity. Uh, we do limit participation in huddles to members. I'll talk a little bit about that later. So it might just be a, a curious, what, what do they actually do in these things that I've heard about? And other, uh, others of you have been huddling for years. Some of you all the way back to when we planted Emmaus Road Church. So this is not new to you. It's a familiar thing. Uh, the idea of refreshing or reminding is frequent in scripture. Peter talks this way in 2 Peter. So it's his second letter, which he'll reference in just a second. But in chapter one of 2 Peter, he says, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So he's acknowledging, you know these things. I'm not saying that you don't. And you, you're established in them. I'm not saying that you're not, but I intend always to remind you. I think it right as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. So what do reminders do? Reminders stir us up. They awaken. They revive. It, it, it refreshes us, refocuses us. And we know that we have a need for that because as human beings, we can all relate to that experience where over time, some of the dangers we have to guard against are things like distractions and drifting, right? It's possible just with time to kind of settle into certain ruts, maybe bad habits, or to start to feel some burnout, like, why am I doing this? I've been doing this a long time. Why do I keep doing this? What am I getting out of this? Uh, to lose sight of the, the vision. And when those things happen, um, our motivation kind of decreases, our enthusiasm goes down, our investment might go down. So that just happens. That's part of being humans, living in a fallen world, having weak bodies, having weak spirits. So Peter seeks to stir up and reawaken by way of reminder, just going back to, you don't need anything new. You just need to go back to the things you already know, you're already established in. He says uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, this is now 
the second letter that I'm writing to you, so he's acknowledging, I'm, I'm repeating things here, I'm repeating myself. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That's part of his strategy. He says in between here, I know that I'm not going to be with you much longer, and so it's my aim that you would be able to recall these things after I'm gone at any moment, which is any teacher's goal, right? When I'm gone, I hope you can remember these things, call them to mind that they're functioning for you, that they, that they serve you. Paul talks uh, in a similar way in Philippians 3.1 when he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And he repeats that theme frequently in the book of Philippians, if you're familiar with that letter. And then he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. It's not hard for me to repeat myself, and it's actually safe for us, because it guards us against distractions and drifting and amnesia. We, we just forget. So that, that's why we're doing this. Not, so most of what I'm going to say here is probably not new to you if you've been huddling for a long time. But the goal is just to, to stir us up and keep us focused. And so I think the most helpful way to do that is just to start with the big picture vision, to zoom all the way out to the global purpose of the glory of God, because that's what awakens our hearts and our passion and our energy for what we do in this really ordinary, simple thing of just having spiritual conversations with a few other people on a, a weekly basis. So our mission as a church is to make and multiply disciples. You hear us say that all the time. We repeat that on purpose because that's one of those things we just want ingrained into our minds. That's the mission that Jesus gave to his church. So we exist to multiply disciples. We believe that as disciples are gathered together, churches are planted. So we have a vision of planting churches to the ends of the earth till the whole earth is saturated with the knowledge of the glory of God. And we really do believe that through the gospel of his son, God is transforming sinners into worshipers who delight in his glory and who display his glory. That when Jesus commissioned his disciples, and we believe that applies to the whole church, to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything he commanded, we believe that that mission is actually going to be successfully fulfilled, that the nations of the earth are going to be discipled, and that as people are discipled, they come to look like Jesus. Discipleship means growing in Christ's likeness. So probably familiar to all of you, Sometimes you hear people distinguish between evangelism and discipleship. Sometimes there's an emphasis on saving souls, converting people. And we understand discipleship to be the, the broad, holistic. People need to come to faith in Jesus, but then they need to grow up in Jesus and be sanctified. So the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God's glory. And I, I know I say that a lot, and I mean to repeat it so that we understand. That doesn't just mean God's glory on display. It means God's glory seen and enjoyed, seen and loved and beheld. So the knowledge of God's glory is going to fill the earth. That's what God is doing. He's going to fill the earth with redeemed humans who look like him because they're made in his image. They're conformed to the image of Christ. So we've been seeing in Romans all the, the new humanity in Jesus, the, the new, the second Adam. That's what God's doing in the world. And we believe that discipleship huddles are, are part of that. And I just find personally, when I can locate this ordinary thing I do on a weekly basis, this, this discipline, if you want to call it a practice, a, a commitment, a habit, a rhythm of my life to meet with a few other guys every week, to get into the word, to ask each other about the condition of our souls. It's under that, that global story of the glory of God. God is filling the earth with worshipers. And I'm part of it in this little tiny corner of the globe. It's happening right here as God is making us into his image. So a couple passages I want to take you to. Colossians 1. 21 through 23, uh, Paul writes this, And you, 
who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So notice a few things. Uh, First, disciple making and multiplying is primarily a ministry of the word. You heard the gospel. You heard it. You believe in it. So Paul's talking about continuing in the faith, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. You heard because there's a message that's proclaimed. And it's a message you don't just hear once, but you need to hear it again and again so that you remain in it. And then he says, that's the message that's been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So disciple making is primarily a ministry of the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ going out. And I love the the progression, the past and present and future tenses all wrapped up here. Paul's saying, past tense, once upon a time, but no longer. It's over. It's done. You were once alienated and hostile to God, doing evil deeds. Now, you live in this status of being justified, reconciled to God through Christ and his body and his death on the cross and his blood that was shed for you. This is now your status. You are justified. So then what are we doing on a day-to-day basis? And, And Paul says, now the ongoing process of your life is this continuing in the faith, continuing in the faith in a way that's stable and steadfast and not shifting, not moving. So that's what we're all caught up in now. We have believed in Jesus. We are already justified. And every one of us is in that process of continuing in the faith, stable and steadfast. So that's what huddles are about, helping one another in that process of continuing in the faith until the future, what's going to happen in the future. He will present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's coming. So that's in our future. We were once alienated today. We're just, we're pressing on by grace through faith in community with others because we need, we need the word. That's small. Can you see that? I'll read it if you can't see it. Um, I, you know what? For the sake of time, I might not spend a lot of time here, although this is maybe one of my favorite go-to passages just for d- explaining the ministry of discipleship huddles. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, I'll highlight a few things. This is the passage where Paul says uh, positions like apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers were given to the church to do what? To equip the saints to carry out the work of ministry. So that, that's a conviction of ours that the work of the ministry is carried out by the members of the body of Christ, not just for the, the professional ministers. Uh, pastors and teachers are just meant to equip the saints to carry out the ministry. And that ministry that saints are called to do is to build up the body. And the way that you build up the body, Paul says here, is by speaking the truth in love, verse 15. By speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him. And he says at the end of uh, verse 16, this happens as every joint is held together, each part working properly. Every member of the body has a role to play in building up the whole body of Christ. And the way each member does that is by speaking the truth in love to one another. So discipleship huddles are part of what's happening in the world right now. The church is growing up in maturity and it's doing that as you individually are engaged in community with other people speaking the truth in love to others. One more passage. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 says, take care brothers lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So sounds a lot like Paul's language in Colossians. 
if we remain in Christ, if we continue stable and steadfast in the faith. So what are we supposed to do? The author of Hebrews calls us, take care, brothers, brothers and sisters, you members of the body of Christ, be vigilant to this. The, the, the word you here is not a singular, watch out for an evil, unbelieving heart inside yourself, although that's part of it. It's a plural you. Watch out lest there be in any of you in community an evil, unbelieving heart that causes you to fall away from the living God through what? The deceitfulness of sin. So unbelieving heart, evil heart, hardened heart, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And the author is saying, watch out, just be on guard knowing that happens to people. Our hearts grow dull over time. And so what is the safeguard for that? Well, certainly to be vigilant over our own souls as, as part of it, but to be in community with other people who are watching us. So th this tells me two things then. It tells me I have a responsibility to be looking out for other people around me, helping them recognize possible attitudes of unbelief that come up in their own hearts. But it also tells me on the flip side, I need to be in community with other people who are practicing Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 also. I need to be in community with people who can watch me and be on guard if they hear deceitful you know, thoughts of sinful, unbelieving heart coming out of my mouth. So what a gift to have that together. What we do in discipleship huddles, that term is unique, um, but it's actually a really, really old practice. Uh, the Puritans, anybody ever heard about, read about the Puritan practice of Christian conference? The Puritans viewed this as one of their spiritual disciplines. And if you read about spiritual disciplines today, you read a lot about reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, uh, you know, the, the sacraments, going to church, being in fellowship, prayer, all of those things. You don't really hear much talk about conference. You certainly don't read that word unless you're reading the Puritans. But to confer with somebody is just to converse. To confer is to talk. And the Puritans saw spiritual conversations between a few people as an essential spiritual discipline or what we call a habit of grace. It's, it's a, you could call it, think of it as a discipline, a habit, a practice, something you regularly give yourself to because you know that God manifests his presence and he supplies his grace to us through these things. So Christian conference, or sometimes uh, like Thomas Watson calls it, holy conference or a spiritual conversation is just simple conversing with other believers about the matters of, of our soul. Listen to Thomas Watson. He says, Christians, when you meet, give one another's souls a visit. Impart your spiritual knowledge. Impart your experience to each other. Philemon 6, Paul writes, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I pray that the sharing of your faith, you share with somebody else, how you're trusting in God and they're sharing with you how they're trusting in God. As you share your faith with others, there's a prayer for you in scripture that that would become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in you for the sake of Christ. This is a, this is a means of grace that God has given us just to have everyday spiritual conversations. Uh, Bobby Jameson, who's an associate pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist, he, he points out in an article, um, You've all probably had this experience, maybe at an MC or a huddle or after Sunday church. You, you know, um, ever, ever just observed how like conversation can kind of be roaring before or after a study and then you, you, somebody introduces a spiritual topic and it just goes silent like crickets. <laughs> it's got nothing, no, nothing to say about that. And that can happen for a variety of reasons, right? Might not want to sound stupid. 
might want to let somebody else go first, might be afraid of somebody who manipulates or, uh, you know, monopolizes the conversation. What, there are lots of reasons for that, right? But why is it that oftentimes when spiritual things come up, we just kind of go silent? What if instead spiritual conversations were just the norm at all times, right after a church service on a Sunday morning, at, at lunch at the barrel house after a Sunday service, hanging out in living rooms, just eating a meal where spiritual conversations were not just reserved for the formal time of study, but spiritual conversation with others is just such a life-giving thing. And our passion for Christ is so strong that, that that stirs that up in us. Let me just share with you a couple highlights. If, if you want to read more from Thomas Watson, you can check out his book, The Great Gain of Godliness. And in that, he exposits, I believe it's um, Malachi 3, and from this little phrase, he does what the Puritans are so good at doing. He just takes this phrase about the saints talked together, and he just goes off on the importance of saints talking together, conferencing together, or what we call huddling together. Um, Watson says this, Some may say they are barren of matter. They don't have anything to talk about spiritually. They know not what to speak of. Have you walked so often through the field of Scripture, yet gathered no ears of corn? Have not you matter enough in the word to furnish you with something to say? Let me suggest a few things to you. When you meet, speak to one another of the promises. No honey is so sweet as that which drops from a promise. The promises are the support of faith, the springs of joy, and the saints' royal charter. Are you citizens of heaven and yet do not speak of your charter? promises of God. He says, speak of the preciousness of Christ. He is all beauty and love. Speak to one another of sin and what a deadly evil it is. Speak of the beauty of holiness. Speak one to another of your souls and inquire whether they are in good health. That's a great piece of advice. When you talk to each other, talk about your souls. How's your soul doing? The life of the inner person. How is your faith? How's your desire for God? Speak about death and eternity. Can you belong to heaven and not speak of your country? Thus you see, here is matter enough for holy conference. Why then do you not maintain godly discourse? I believe that one main reason for the decay of the power of godliness is a lack of Christian conference. People, when they meet, talk of vanities, but God and heaven are left out of their discourse. May I persuade you in your conversations to put in a word about your souls. The Puritans are awesome. <laughs> Can I just convince you, when you're just with others, just put in a word about your soul. Ask them a word about the, the condition of, of their souls. I think a lot of us have remarked, we just think back over the last year and a half especially, how much of our conversation, somebody was just saying this the other night, how you, you can go into a gathering with others and you're like, okay, we have talked about COVID and the government and everything ad nauseum. We're, I'm, I'm not going there. And where do we go? It's just, I mean, because it's so easy to talk about, right? So as I was reflecting on that thing, how do, how do we get out of that rut of just going back to that and just kind of the, the complaining, lamenting, ah, people are so crazy, everybody out there, just the world's full of idiots. And part of it would just be to, not that you can't talk about those things, but to have a word, put in a word about your soul. How's your soul doing about that? As you're thinking about that stuff, like are you growing more and more embittered, more and more discontent, more and more scared? How's your soul doing about the state of the world? It's okay to be looking at what's going on, be thinking about it, discerning together, but ask somebody else. So how's your soul doing? All those headlines you read this week, what effect did that have on your heart? Your trust in God. Is, was there a promise you turned your mind to after you got done scrolling through, what, what do they call it, doom scrolling? 
How's your soul with that? I think Watson gives us some wise advice. He asks the question, how may godly conference then be arrived at? How how do you do that? He just throws out three suggestions. I'll paraphrase. He says, one, furnish your mind with knowledge. If you're going to have anything to contribute in conversation with others, you've got to be putting something into your mind. So just fill your mind with knowledge. That's just speaking to your own attentiveness to habits of grace, being in the word, memorizing the word, praying. As you fill your heart with content, you'll have something. He says, you, you walk through a field of corn, you should have some ear that you plucked off you could pass on to somebody else right so fill your mind let the word of christ dwell in you richly second he says just delight in godliness and then he observes what men delight in they will be speaking of whether that's sports or possessions are the two examples he gives like you know four four hundred years ago we haven't changed much talk about our sports we talk about the government we talk about possession whatever you love and you delight in you'll talk about and so if you want to talk about spiritual things more, the way to start is just to lead your own heart to delight in Christ more. The more you delight in Christ, the more you'll talk about Christ, the more natural it will be. And it's a cycle, right? Sometimes you, you, you're aware, I don't feel very much delight in Christ right now. So that's no reason not to enter into spiritual conversation, not to go to huddle, because that's the very thing that stirs us up to delight in Christ so that we have something next week to share with others, right? It's, it's a, it feeds, there's a feedback loop there third thing Watson suggests is just pray. Ask God. Ask that God will both gift and grace you for Christian conference. Love that encouragement. He he just points to Psalm 51, 15. Oh Lord, open my lips. Lord, open my lips. Help, Help me. Pray that you may commend him and not be ashamed to speak of him before others. And then Watson says, uh, he adds two, two cautions. One, Don't think that this means when you're together, all your conversations have to be about spiritual things. It's okay to talk about other things. He just says, but just be aware. If if the spiritual is the heart of the matter, if that's the root, then then how often do you get there in your conversations? Or do you just kind of float along the surface? Not that you can't talk about other stuff, but just know underneath the other stuff is always a human soul. So go there in your conversations. And then the second warning he gives is, he just says, this is my paraphrase, Speak to each other so as to build up, not to show off. By build up, he just means just your your main motivation. This is what kind of frees you so you're not worried about what do people think of me. Your main motive is I just want to help other people love Jesus more, trust Jesus more. When that's your motive, then he says, then when you do talk about spiritual things, let me read this quote. Having your aim right, speak of the things of God with life and affection so that others may perceive you feel those truths of which you speak. Can people tell you really mean it? You really feel these things? That should be the flavor of our conversation. So there's some old wisdom from the Puritans on Christian conference. That's all we're doing with discipleship huddles. So I'll run through a few nuts and bolts. Uh, I'm going to touch on some of the basics because there are some people who are brand new to this. And I think for those of us who have been doing it for a while, it's easy to forget why do we structure it that way on purpose. Uh, An overarching consideration to keep in mind is uh, part of our thinking about the structure of discipleship huddles is we, we... We love how easily reproducible, low barrier, this this habit of grace is. Spiritual conversation. You don't need any curriculum. You don't need any big budget. You just need to be around a couple other believers. And so because it's easily reproducible and we're trying to multiply disciples, we want a model that anybody could learn and take with them anywhere they go. So that 
that informs a lot of this for us. So huddles are gender specific. I think that's obvious enough. If we're dealing with matters of the soul, we want to be as vulnerable as possible. Healthiest way to do that is to meet men with men, women with women. The size of groups, um, we say that the ideal number is three, and there's more on this in the huddle guides, uh, although they kind of range from three to five. Sometimes only two people show up. Sometimes you might be at six, and usually we tell people if you're pretty consistently at six, then you're probably ready to multiply into two huddles of three. Uh, why is that? Well, you can conference with anyone. You could do that one-on-one. -on -one. We just find that there are good reasons to aim for more than just one-on-one. One-on-one -on -one. -on -one conversations are great, but when you add in a third person, it's a little more dynamic. You get a second pair of ears listening to help process and discern and get to the heart and speak back into somebody's life. It takes the burden off the other person. You know, if you're in one-on-one -on -one conversation, the other person stops and they're looking at you and you're like, I don't know. I got nothing for you. Somebody else might have something. So just take some pressure off. Um, there, there's a lot greater potential to learn and grow from each other. And it, the burden's not all on one person to care for the other person there. So we, we've just found that to be valuable. Uh, the reason that we like to limit it to like five, ideally, is because when you have a few people, three or four, it's easier for everybody to get a word in. And I just know having been in huddles where like my huddle have been at five guys for a long time, it just takes a lot longer for every guy around the circle to share versus when it's just three of us. We can get through that in a much more reasonable amount of time. We can give a little more attention to the other two guys. Um, so it's more efficient time-wise. Um, when you have a bigger group, it's easier for somebody to just kind of hide and stay silent and just be, oh, I'm just, I'll listen and let everybody else carry the conversation. When it's three of you and you come around, everybody's gonna jump in and, and share. Um, those are some of the, the main reasons. When it comes to the, the time and the frequency of our huddles, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day who was asking, that sounds like a big commitment to, to meet weekly. Why, why, do you, why do you do that? Um, here's why. We've just found if, if a huddle starts out with the intention, hey, let's meet every other week, that just works better. What if on the, you know, you, so you're going to meet twice in the month. What if on one of those, the kids are sick or something comes up or you, you work late or whatever and you miss that? Well, then, then you met once a month, which is pretty infrequent. If you shoot for weekly, then there's a, there's a lot of flexibility. Cancel if it doesn't work. So this is not like a, a law. Oh, no, we didn't meet this week. We're, we're not doing it right. No, just cancel if it doesn't work that week. But you're more likely to get two or three times in, in a month than you are if you shoot for two and you only get one or maybe none. And you're like, wow, we haven't huddled for a month and a half. So it just when we say weekly, we don't mean if you're not meeting weekly, you're, you're not meeting enough. We just mean make, make that the intention and then adjust as life happens. And, and that's one of the beauties about huddles is they're just flexible. If you're talking about coordinating three or four people, you can be flexible. My huddle last week, I texted the guys, both of them said, not available, out of town. All right, see you next week. So that, that's how it goes. Um, I, I think 90 minutes is a good time to aim for, especially if you're thinking about the three habits we'll get to in just a second. You can devote about 30 minutes to each of those. It, it's hard to do it in an hour to get through all of that. but you could go longer and longer and longer, and just for the sake of everybody's time, you know, more likely to want to come back again if you, uh, you know, say, all right, we'll, we'll be here next week. We don't have to finish everything, solve everything today. COVID issues will still be here next week. <laughs> um, the structure of huddles, I, I always use the word facilitators to talk about the, the person who kind of coordinates or facilitates the huddle, because I think uh, it, it takes some of the pressure off the idea of like, 
the huddle leader. And we just realized this varies depending on the dynamics of the group. But in any group, it usually just takes somebody to take the initiative to send out the text like, are we meeting this week? Where are we meeting? Etc. If somebody knows, hey, that's kind of on me to check in and coordinate, pull us all together, um, you, you don't have to do all the talking. You're not coming like with a lesson prepared to teach. You're, you're just gathering people together to have spiritual conversation. And you might have to lead the conversation, some of those transitions, be the one to watch the clock and just be like, all right, 30 minutes, let's move on to the next thing. Um, so that's what we mean by facilitator. So I, I think it's fairly low barrier. Anybody can step up and do that. And it's a good idea to give others opportunity to practice in, in your huddle. Um, when it comes to the question of who can huddle, the reason we limit huddles to members, if you're not a member and you're wondering, or if you are a member and you're thinking, why do we do that? I know people who want to join and why don't we let them? Um, part of the reason is just because the, the depth of the vulnerability we're, we're after in these kinds of spiritual conversations requires some level of commitment. Um, I think marriage is a great picture of that. When you enter into a covenant of marriage, that commitment is what protects you with all of the other emotional, physical vulnerability that comes along, the intimacy that comes with that. Church membership is a form of uh, accountability. You're, you know these people are accountable here, and so it's safer to open your, your heart up to people. If you don't know if that person is going to be around next week, you're not going to share very honest, vulnerable things with them, most likely, right? However, that said, if the question is, who can practice spiritual conversations? Who can have Christian conference? Anybody, right? So what we do here is not, it's not a secret. It's not proprietary. Anybody could take this. In fact, um, you should take this, and, and it hopefully it spills over and helps you be more effective at having spiritual conversations in the rest of life, talking about the word, talking about matters of the soul, praying with people. Hopefully you've found through doing this, you become more effective at caring for other people's souls. So if you're not a member, you could certainly take this outline and do it with anybody. And if you're in a huddle and you're thinking, you know, there's somebody else I'd love to huddle with who's not in my MC, get together and, and conference with them. Take them out for coffee and just have spiritual conversation. You, you can do that with anybody. So we just kind of sow that we're intentional about it. We commit to huddling with a few other people, usually oriented around our missional communities, but by all means have lots of spiritual conversations with others. So for the time that we have left, I just want to run through again not necessarily new, but want to touch on some things just regarding the, the habits of our huddle. So we talk about three habits. We encourage all of our huddles to practice. This just gives us a, a template for spiritual conversations. Hear and obey, repent and believe, plan and pray. Th those are the, the three practices. Um, so hear and obey. James 1 says, be doers of the word not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Look in the mirror in the morning, big green piece of broccoli between your teeth. And you go, huh, that's interesting. And you walk out the door to work, leaving the broccoli right there. James says, who does that? You look at, the whole point of looking in the mirror is to see what's wrong and fix it. So the whole point of looking in the word is to know what's wrong with our souls and do something about it. What does God say to me? Got to believe it and trust what he says. Otherwise, I'm just looking in the mirror and ignoring what I see. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So, so we realize one of the great temptations for us as Christians is to be hearers who quickly forget or who don't ever apply. So we can just, you can hear sermon after sermon after sermon, and in the middle of the week, you're listening to 
all the podcasts and you're watching all the other preachers, the best ones in the country during the week, and you, you just listen to all that, plus you join Bible study and you buy you know, the curriculum and you go through the best Bible studies, you, and you get done and you go, what's the next one? And we can just go from thing to thing to thing. The question should just always be, so what effect has it had on you? What has it done to you? What have you taken from that and applied? What are you doing with that? So that huddles are really where we're trying to take the text that we're preaching the Sunday before and just ask, what does it mean? And then how does that apply? What difference does that make to us? We want to be doers of the word. So, so whenever you're in this part, just let that be kind of primary in your minds. How do, what effect should this have? What should this get done in us? How can we do this word together? So a few tips, suggestions, best practices to get the most out of this. Um, listen to the sermon and take notes. I find um, over the years that that part of the discussion has gone best when I'm in a huddle with guys who show up with sermon notes they took. They, they've been thinking about the word. Um, there's a guy in my huddle who every week I know he gets up before our huddle to look through the huddle questions, look back through the text, be thinking about it. So he, I know he's coming in with thoughts to share because he's, he's preparing himself that way. Again, think of Thomas Watson. Do, do you have something to share? Fill your mind with with the knowledge of God's word. So that, that's a great way to go about it. But I've heard people say, oh, I can't huddle because I didn't listen to the sermon yet. That's not how it goes, right? It's not just a sermon discussion. It's discussing the word. So if you didn't listen to the sermon, you show up, read the word. It's still God's word. It's going to do something. It's going to have its effect on you, okay? So don't use that as an excuse. Um, use the huddle questions that I post every Monday as a guide, not an assignment. I think this is an easy trap for some to fall into to think, well, you got to talk about every question here. You don't, okay? I, I, that's why there's a footnote at the bottom every single week that says you don't have to talk about all these questions. I'm just trying to give you more than enough questions so that nobody can say, well, we didn't really have anything to talk about. <laughs> if you have more than enough, draw a few of those. And if two of those, three of those take your whole time, great. And then for the sake of getting to the other habits, move on when it's time and just realize there will always be more riches left buried in the ground of God's word than you could get to in one time. And just read the Bible like you expect to come back through it again. You're in Romans 8 now. Just act like somebody who thinks, I'll probably read this chapter again in my life. I'll probably be back here and get more out of it at another time. I don't have to exhaust it all right now. Um, this question has come up over the years at times where people have asked, you know, hey, could our huddle read this book and have a book talk together or uh, use this other Bible study material or whatever? Um, we'll never tell you you can't read other books or use other materials. We would just ask the time that you have in huddle, devote that to the text of scripture that we're all in together because it's what we're preaching on Sunday and then use other time. So I, I realize that's a commitment if you want to go through another book, but I think of a few guys last year, um, somebody had a book he wanted to read through with a few other dads. So we started reading that together and getting together on a separate morning. You're welcome to do that anytime. We would just say, keep that outside of the normal huddle time. Um, this, this habit of just hearing and obeying God's word builds in us maturity so that we're people who know how to handle God's word. So that might be really familiar to you. Maybe you went to Christian college, Bible school, seminary. You've taken courses on exegesis and hermeneutics and that kind of stuff. Or it's fairly new to you. So we just realize people are all across the spectrum. But week after week after week, practicing, studying the Bible together, hopefully everybody's getting a better handle of how to read the Bible. Because there are bad ways to read the Bible. Um, you know, the... the the worst way is the Bible study where you read it and then somebody asks the question like, so what does that mean to you? And everybody just says what it brings to mind. Like, you know, you're in Romans 8, 28, God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And somebody says, 
to me, that just reminds me of karma. You know, like good, good things go around. And everybody goes, yeah, that's so good. How about you, so-and-so? What does that mean to you? And everybody just nods along because whatever you pull out of it is just right. That's, that's a bad way to read the Bible. It doesn't mean whatever I want it to mean. I had a conversation once with somebody, asked them to read Hebrews 9.27. It's destined for man to die once and after that to face judgment. And I said, so what does that say to you? What does that mean? And he said, basically like reincarnation, I think. <laughs> I'm like, Why don't you read that again? Destined to die once and after that face judgment. <laughs> Um, so we're just aware we do have a tendency to come to the Bible with our own thoughts and our own preconceived ideas. And so we want to get at the meaning of the text. What does it actually mean? Um, I've used this as an outline in some of the huddle questions recently. The inductive method. How many of you are familiar practice the inductive method of Bible study before? Okay. So observe, interpret, apply are the three parts of an inductive method where you're gathering broad observations and then you're, you're working based on those down to a narrow conclusion. What's, what's the clear meaning of the text? Um, so inductively, we start broad. What, what do we see? What's going on? What does it say? So there we're just getting in the habit. And that's why lately in the huddle questions I've just been putting, the very first questions are always the same. What themes do you notice? What repetitions? What key words? What's the emotional impact of the text? What's the, what are the commands? Just noticing. Because if you get that as a lens, and then you realize every time you read the Bible, this is just how I think. I'm just asking What's going on here? What do I see? Who are the people going on? What are they doing? What are the themes? What's the repetition? You'll just be a, a much more uh, fruitful, effective Bible reader because these are just the lenses that you have. So observing, what does it say? And then based on what it's saying, then we're working toward a narrow understanding. What does it mean? It just means one thing. It doesn't mean lots of different things for all of us. It means one thing for all of us. There's one meaning because the author meant one thing and behind the author is the Spirit of God inspiring it and the Spirit of God meant something. So that's what we're trying to get to. What does it mean? In other words, What's the main point? And I think uh, when we preach, we're, we're consciously trying to model this where we're explicitly saying at some point, here's the main point. We read a big paragraph. Here's the main point, the meaning that the author has, the thing the Spirit of God's trying to do in us. And here's where we get that from the text. So one of my favorite questions in conversation with other people about the Bible is just to ask a question like, where did you get that? Um, having taught in this in a Christian school for a long time, uh, trying to teach some of these things. My, my favorite is to ask a student, where did you get that? And when their eyes go up to the ceiling, like, hmm, and not to the open Bible in front of them, <laughs> that's kind of a hint to me. It probably just plucked it out of their mind, not necessarily out of the word. So what I'm looking for there is when we're saying, here's what it means. Where do we get that? Our answer to where do we get that should be, well, right here. Verse 15 says, which tells me this is what Paul means by that word, right? Or over here, I remember back in Romans 1, Paul used the same phrase, and he said this, and here, here's, so here's why I think it, it means that. So the meaning has to come out of the word, not out of the lights or the, the ceiling or our heads. So I want to point back to the word all the time. And, and that's a great way to be gracious as somebody who's multiplying disciples. If you're teaching this to somebody who's new at it, and you're talking about the Bible, and they throw out something they think the text means, and you're kind of like, ah, I don't know if that's really what it means. Um, rather than just jumping on, like, nope, that's that, nope, you're wrong. <laughs> Just to draw that out, where do you get that? Uh, and have a conversation there. And then you can graciously say, okay, that, that's interesting. Because, you know, I, I see this and I, I think that might be um, the, the meaning of the text. So interpret, what does it mean? And then application, this is where it broadens back out. Broad application. It's, the, the word has a narrow meaning, but it's going to have, in this room, 
50 different applications because we all have, we're different individuals. That same meaning is gonna land in my life, my responsibilities, my marriage, my parenting, my job, that's different than yours. So the application for me is going to look different than the application for you, but for everybody it's gonna be specific. And so we use those questions, head, heart, hands. Is there a new thought that this gives you? Something you realize, I'm not believing that truth and I need to, I need to think about that, believe that. That's head. Heart, is there some affection this should stir? How should this affect me? Should I feel joy, peace, contentment, conviction for sin? What should I feel as a result of this? And then hands, is there something God's calling me to do in, in response to that? Another tool that I love is the four questions, and those are in the huddle questions. I'm not going to say a lot about that right now for time, but um, I love those because they're simple, and you can just take those with you to any text in the Bible and draw a lot out. Scripture is always, always, always revealing something about God. So any passage you read, you can ask, what is this revealing about God? Who is he? What's he doing? What's he like? What's his character, his nature, his ways? If you come away with that, you will have been richly blessed by the reading of God's word, right? And it's important that we get to the other questions at the bottom after that, because it's always in response to who God is and what he's doing that we get to, out of that, who are we and how should we live? You could just use those and skip the huddle questions I write. I would not be offended if you just talk through, let's just read this passage and ask each other, what does it say about God? What, he's, what do you see him doing here? What does it mean about who we are? That would be effective. Okay, uh, repent and believe. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24 says this. That is not the way you learned Christ, talking about the way of the Gentiles darkened in their, the futility of their minds, alienated from God in their unbelief. Paul says, that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul writes some long sentences. A lot of twists and turns in that, and it's just so packed with with meaning. He assumes something about all Christians. He assumes that you have learned Christ. And what does it mean to learn Christ? He assumes that if you've learned Christ, you've heard about him, and you were taught in him. So, at, at least the gospel, you know Jesus died for your sins, but he's assuming you know more than just the facts of the gospel. You know what claims the gospel lays on your life, namely that you are to repent and believe. You're supposed to turn away from sin and trust in Christ. The language he uses here is the language of, of clothing, attire, to put off and put on, to take off old, dirty, worn-out clothes, to put on new garments, put off and put on. And he says... You have learned this way. I'm assuming you've been taught in Christ how to do this, which just means this is like basic Christianity 101, how to put off and put on. We could go to numerous places in Scripture to show this is always God's pattern, always the way that God affects lasting heart change in us. All of our sin, that, that process of change we call sanctification, how do you grow more like Christ, how do you grow more free from sin, it always involves a two-step process, putting off, putting on. The rest of Ephesians 4 into Ephesians 5, if you're familiar with that, Paul goes through several specifics, like he deals with the thief who steals, and he says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him work honestly, so he has something that he can share with others. So put off stealing, put on hard work and generosity. Until the thief puts on generosity, he's still a thief, okay? Until he actually works hard with his own hands and earns his own honest living, he's still a thief, even if he's just on his lunch break. So put off and put on. That, that's the process. That's why we talk about repent and believe. That's what the goal is in this habit, just to always be making progress 
in our sanctification together. There's still areas of our lives that need to change. And the goal is that with time, you know, hopefully a year, two, three later, you're, you're not bringing the same thing, like I'm still stuck on this bad habit, this life-dominating sin. Hopefully you're making progress, and so it's something different, something deeper that you're becoming aware of. But that's the goal. Uh, n- notice it's a two-step process, and it's a matter of the heart. Paul says your old self is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's at the level of the heart. Put on the new self, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's the inner self, your, what you think. So what you think and what you want, that's the heart level, and that's where lasting change has to happen, which is why we encourage our huddles, try to get there. Try to get down to the heart. What's going on? What sin is somebody dealing with? What are they thinking and wanting? Because until you get down to the heart level, you, can't, you, you could try to staple fruit on the outside, but it takes root change for real fruit to begin to be produced. And the only way for that root change to happen is to change what you're thinking and change what you're wanting. So what you worship is where everything else comes from. Um, this habit of ours is summed up well in Martin Luther's iconic, his, the first thesis of his 95 theses that he nailed to the, the chapel door. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance entire life of the believers to be one of repentance. We understand repentance and faith to be not just the first thing you do as a Christian in conversion, but much like you know, a baby is born and cries and takes their first breath on their own, and then they go on inhaling and exhaling for the rest of life. When do you stop inhaling and exhaling? If you stop, you're dead. You keep doing that. You, you, you keep repenting, keep believing, keep repenting, keep believing, keep turning from sin to Christ, from unbelief to the truth about God. So the, the habits, the questions we're just asking each other here, repent, the questions there are things like, what lies do I need to turn from? What, what am I thinking with my mind that's not true that I need to turn away from? And what am I wanting with my will that's not God? It might not be a sinful thing I'm wanting, I just might be wanting it too much. James 4 tells us, you, you want something so bad, you don't get it. That's why you fight and quarrel. But you could pray and ask God, meaning some of the things you want aren't bad things. If you could pray about them, they're not illicit, immoral things. But you want them so bad that you're actually sinning out of that. So deal with that desire that's become ultimate in your life. What am I believing? What am I wanting that I need to turn away from? And then on the belief side, what's the truth about God I need to turn to? What's the, the reality about God? I need to worship and desire more than whatever else, whatever else it was that I was desiring. Um, there are a few tools that we have, and I'll, I won't get into all of these right now um, because they're in our huddle questions every week. I just point you to those. If you haven't read through, I think it's on like the third page every week in the huddle questions, a couple protocols. One um, is called fruit to root, and the other is called attitudes of unbelief. And I outline in there just a simple process you could use if, if this is not a, a vibrant practice for your huddle, then I'd just say start with those protocols until it becomes natural and use that, that suggested outline as a way to do that. To get down to, we talk about attitudes of unbelief as check engine lights, what's going on inside the heart. Usually the first thing we notice is not, I'm not believing some truth about God. The first thing we notice is, I feel really down. I just feel a lot of despair, anxiety, worry right now. What's, what's, where's that coming from? I don't even know. I just know I don't like how I feel right now. Use that. Let it alert you to something that's going down below. Let me give you a tool, though, that I think is helpful as disciple makers. This comes from um, 
Paul Tripp's book, Instruments in the, hands, in, the, in the Redeemer's Hands, which, by the way, I would commend to you if, if you want to take Thomas Watson's advice and grow in knowledge, fill your mind with knowledge, and be more effective in spiritual conversation. Read Tripp's book. Uh, it's a great book on just ministering to others. I think the subtitle is something like People in Need of Change, Helping People Change. It, it will help you grow in your own spiritual life. It'll help you help others. Tripp says when you're talking with people, it helps you as you're processing what they're telling you, their, their story, whatever happened this last week, or maybe their life story, whatever. It helps you to have these four buckets to put, to categorize things in, to sort it out. Otherwise, you ever notice like somebody's just dumping a problem for you and it just sounds so tangled and convoluted and you're going, that is a mess. I'm glad that's not me. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. And you don't, just don't even know where to start. If you can sort out everything they're saying to you into these four buckets, you kind of know how to ask more questions to get more information. You know what you don't know you need to ask, or you know where to start and what to address. So the, the four, can you see the situation is just what's happening. Um, is it a, a work situation, a marriage problem, a parent thing? What, what's happening there? Who are the actors involved? What, what's going on in the situation? What's happening? The response is, how is this person responding to what's happening? That's different, right? You can respond to a bad situation in godly ways or in ungodly ways. I know that a lot of you have heard me say, no situation is so bad you can't make it worse. You're in a tough situation, just try sinning in response to it and watch how bad it gets. Keep sinning in response and it will get worse and worse and worse. So if you can kind of sort out how's this person responding to the hard thing they're going through, that'll help you see where some, some problems might be or where some evidence of grace might be that you can affirm, okay? Underneath that, this is the level of, of the heart. What thoughts is this person having about their situation? We are always narrating to ourselves, interpreting our situation, telling ourselves something. This is hopeless. I'm a loser. This always happens to me. We're thinking things about our situation, and our responses are actually coming from that or the way we're about to respond is coming from what we're telling ourselves about the situation. What judgment am I passing about my situation? It's hopeless. It's all over. Um, and then motives. What, what, what am I wanting? What, what is this person wanting out of their situation? And again, our, sometimes what we want is not all bad. Think of a, um, a situation, a, a husband who is saying, I just want my wife to try. Just want her to try. She won't try, and he's getting frustrated, and he's angry, and he's being really mean about it because she's not trying. And the angrier and meaner he gets, the less she wants to try. He wants her to try so bad that he, he's not giving any attention to his own response to her. He's not really trying. He just really wants her to try. He wants, would that be a good thing if she tried? Sure. We could get there eventually, but first he needs to want to please God more than he wants her to try. And when that motive changes, he's going to start to make progress because he's going to start feeling conviction about how cruel he's being to her, as an example. Okay? So I hope that helps you just think through when you're in this part of huddles and you're asking people what's going on, how is your soul, check in with each other. Um, as you're listening, you can think in these ways and then you could speak into some of those. And, and we just remind people, get to the heart um, early and often because that's, that's where the other stuff is coming from. And you've probably experienced this where if you stay on the surface, people just respond with good advice about the situation. Oh, here's what I would do if I were you. I would open a bank account here and just put some money over there and blah, blah, blah. And that, that'll, that'll fix it. And just on the, the surface situation level, it's not dealing with the heart, what's going on 
down below. So watch out for that kind of advice. Uh, one suggestion for you, if you haven't done this, there's a, an appendix in the huddle guide called X-ray questions. Um, if, I think this could kind of just be a jump start to the, your repent and believe time as a huddle if you've kind of stalled out to just, if you're the huddle facilitator, pick one of those X-ray questions that sounds good to you, throw it out to your huddle a couple days in advance and say, hey, for repent and believe this week, we're just gonna, we're all gonna answer this question. Um, we're, gonna, we're gonna talk about it. So this is appendix six. Let me give you an idea. Any of you read through those before? Um, first one, what do you love the most? Is there something you, you love more than God or your neighbor right now? Um, what makes you tick? Number nine, what sun does your planet revolve around? Where, where do you find your garden of delight? What lights up your world? What food sustains your life? What really matters to you? What are you living for? And, and those are things you could come back to and repeat those. Like just this week, what, what would you say, what, what's really been energizing you? Um, and that would prompt some conversation that starts to move toward motives and thoughts of, of our hearts, right? Um, lots more I could say about that. Let me pause. Any questions at this point? Comments? Okay. Let me... Um, this is what happens in my huddle too. Plan and pray gets neglected. It gets the least amount of time because we spend so much time on the the word and repent and believe. Um, th this is important. Some of you have seen this. Let me back up. If you think about the population of Sioux Falls at 275,000 people right now, and my guess is it's probably like tens of thousands more than that. We just haven't caught up yet. Um, to make a 1% dent in the lostness of our city, we need to see 2,750 new converts to Christ, which sounds like a really big number, right? How in the world are we going to see like thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus? We just have to multiply gospel conversations. We get more comfortable talking about Jesus if we're comfortable talking about Jesus with each other. If that's awkward, we got to start there. Um, and so we, we just want to always keep this before us as part of our spiritual conversations that we're always asking, who could I tell about Jesus this week? Who do I know who's far from God? And just at least at a minimum make a point to pray for lost people. I think just doing that regularly, praying for each other and coworkers and neighbors and friends and family members, whatever, keeps it on our minds. There are lost people around us who don't yet know Jesus, and we want God to save them. Let's pray together for those who are lost. Um, and then check in with each other. Hey, have you had that conversation with your coworker over lunch yet? How'd that go? So be, be regular about that. Uh, there, there were two questions that came in, and let me try to remember where um, these fit, because I wanted to address these. Um, oh, one had to do with consistency of participation and holding people accountable. Sounded like... Um, this person's huddle was just struggling to be consistent for everybody being there. Um, this person said, I've been in a huddle where we met every week, no matter what, it was so sweet. Since then it's changed a lot, consistency has changed. Um, people are new and that's understandable. J just wondering how, how to be realistic in expectations, what's healthy and keeping one another accountable. Um, yeah, good question. Y usually, so, if, if you only have three people and you're struggling with consistency, I would say talk to your MC leader about realigning your huddles and just kind of work back to who can commit for sure to be there the majority of the time and, and kind of structure it around those people. And then if there are others you know they're, they're pretty inconsistent, let them kind of attend when they can and maybe your numbers surge a little bit. Um, but start with kind of a core group if you can of two or three people who, who can be there. Um, I think that's a good starting point. Usually a great way to untangle stuff like this, I just find that the best way is always just go to the source 
as quickly as possible. Just go to the person and have a conversation and say, hey, um, I, I just noticed it hasn't been working for you the times that we've been meeting. And anything I, we can do to make it more conducive for you? Is there a different time, different schedule? Um, is, is there any reason that, you know, maybe they say, yeah, honestly, I just haven't been getting a lot out of it. I don't really care to come. Then you know, oh, okay. So like you wouldn't be offended if we reshuffled and brought somebody else in. And I would just say, uh, as much as possible, invite people in, but there's no like burden or, or condemnation. We just, you hear us say all the time, hopefully, um, the gospel, gospel truth, plus time, plus, anybody know? Safety equals gospel change, gospel culture. So safety is a big part of that. We just, it's totally fine to give people time. Hey, if they're not there yet, give them time and maybe just reshuffle things. Uh, and if they say, oh yeah, I really do want to be there. It's just been a busy season for me. Get specifics, like what's been busy about it? When, is, when do you expect that might change? And uh, be as specific as possible, because that could be just a, an excuse, right? And nothing's changing anytime soon and it'll just continue to be that way. So I'd just say, I, I found over the years, best ways just as directly as possible, have a conversation with somebody and say, hey, where, where are you at on this? Are, are you with us? How can we make it work for you? Um, somebody asked a question about repent and believe, asking follow-up questions, getting specifics. There's some stuff in the huddle guide on asking good questions. Um, and I would commend that to you so you can grow and just learning how to probe a little bit deeper. You've probably experienced this where w when we come to dealing with sin in our own lives, most of us tend to start out pretty vague. Well, you know, I, I was struggling with some stuff this week, and everybody goes, mm, yeah, us too. All right, let's pray. Um, it's just so vague that you can't get any work done. It might be a little bit more specific, like, well, you know, I, I was a little impatient. Um, with who? What, what does that mean? Like, did you raise your voice? Did you punch a hole in the wall? What, what happened there? Specifics matter. So this question had to do with um, what if you're trying to ask, somebody's obviously generalizing, and they're not really comfortable giving any more specifics after you ask for more specifics. And I would just say, again, gospel doctrine plus time plus safety equals change. If they're not willing to open up, they, it's, you're not responsible for them. It's a great thing to make a distinction and realize my responsibility to everybody else is to speak the truth to them. But I'm not responsible for them and what they do and whether or not they change their response. They're going to answer to God for that. And if they're not ready to, they're not repentant yet, that, that's how in good conscience without any anxiety I can let people walk away. Because I know I'm not responsible for that. They're going to answer to God. I might be concerned for them. I can pray for them. I can commit to that. But I don't have to like, you wait right there. We're going to get this out <laughs> right now. Um, probe down deep. So it, that's important. That's, uh, again, drawing people in, inviting people in, encouraging them. Hey, when you're ready, we'd, we'd be more than happy to talk with you about more specifics there. Um, and you could follow up with them one-on-one -on -one later. Hey, is that something you'd be willing to talk more about even with me? Maybe they're not willing to share with other people present. Um, so I, I think there are a few ways you could go about that. But um, Another comment, though. I do think we have to discern between our fear of man where we're just afraid to ask a more specific question and somebody else's resistance. Um, and I, I just realized it's way, just Christian niceness. We're just kind of like, we'll just leave it right there. We won't say anything more. And sometimes it just takes a pretty direct, like, follow-up question to, to help somebody see they're dodging the issue or they're not really being honest with themselves about sin in their life or whatever. If you're doing that out of love because you just genuinely, you want them to change, Galatians 6.1 is the qualifier. You who are spiritual, if you see somebody caught in sin, you who are spiritual should help such a one. So the qualifier is 
Are you filled with the Spirit? If you're walking in the Spirit, then you're not doing it because like you need them to change so that you feel good about yourself. You, you just, you're filled with the Spirit and you're concerned for them and out of genuine love, you can be a little bit more direct and specific. And um, I, I do think that takes a level of boldness and courage that's less common in the church, sadly. But we could use a lot more of that. And I think as Christian conference, I, I just think a, a church given to Christian conference like the Puritans, just the health and vitality. I think it's a key reason for our strength as a church. And I, I know so many of you have said it's just been such a life-giving thing to you. So um, let, let me, last thing I'll just put up. I know there's way more here we could cover than we can fit into an hour anyway. So I'll put a plug in for this, not because it's not like a like and subscribe thing. I don't need that. I just I, I tried to put together content that could be helpful over the years, and I wanted to record it so that people could go back to it, revisit it, and access it at their own time and convenience. Um, so the Make and Multiply podcast, you can find that on our church website. It's also wherever you get your podcast. Those two seasons really are aimed at just helping and talking through a lot of those things. The first season, I just went through like all the appendices in here and explained how it works. So um, check that out for way more content than we could pack into a, an hour like this. So any last questions, comments? I trust if you have any, you can follow up with me. Thank you for being here. I hope that's helpful and encouraging. I hope it reawakens in you a desire and uh, um, earnestness to value spiritual conversations, not only in your huddle, but just all of community, all of life. Talk, have a visit to your souls. Put in a word about your souls with each other so that Christ would be treasured among us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us by your grace, out of darkness, into light, into your kingdom where you rule and reign by your word in our hearts alone. Thank you, God, for the joy that we have. What, what rich blessings are ours because Christ is ours and because the church is ours and we belong here, we belong with each other, we belong in community with one another. And we pray, oh God, like Thomas Watson told us to pray, that you would open up our lips and give us the gift and the grace to talk freely about Jesus with one another, about the state of our souls, that we would love each other so much we would really care about the state of our souls and that we would go there often with each other and, um, and be able to bring the gospel to bear on one another so that change, lasting change for your glory and for our joy would take place in us. And God, we pray, save, save lost people, that, that disciples would be multiplied in this city. As our city grows numerically, we pray that the church would grow not just with people transferring, but with new conversions. We want to see the lost saved, um, that they would come to share in this delight with us. In Jesus' name, amen.